0: This is of a woman who's been taken captive after a war and God has all of these stipulations to make sure that this gal is taken care of because the children of Israel were meant to be different from everybody else the ethics of who they are and why they do what they do is different and I love that about the Bible so if anyone ever says oh the way they treat women so horrible listen (laughs) this is the first case of a protection for women
1: One of the markers of walking with the Lord is that you're a bit weird. He wants you to be different in how you think and what you do so that you can better reflect who he is. You can see this clearly in today's teaching about how the Israelites were to treat women taken into captivity during war. Pastor Daniel explains that God wanted them to be cared for and respected. Unlike the surrounding cultures, God valued women and wanted to protect them. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 21 as he continues his message family dynamics. Jesus
0: is I would just want to encourage you because, in a lot of ways, the elders of the nearest city function as intercessors for whoever the person was who actually perpetrated the crime. And, my friends, listen. We live in a day and age where our world has gotten so increasingly perplexing that people don't know what to do. And I think this text teaches us that our job in a confusing world is to be an intercessor, where we are willing to stand in the gap and minister to God and bless others, not for necessary things that we're doing, but things that our communities are doing that are wrong. And we're saying, Lord, we want to stand in the gap rather than just getting bitter at looking at what's going on in our world. See, it's a much more proactive approach to how do we deal with the ills of the society that we live in. Does it make sense? These elders, they're standing in the gap and they are seeking God's blessing. Provide atonement, Lord. Lord, we want to put away that innocent blood that's been shed from the land. See, they realize that innocent blood defiles their land. And I think for us, we don't think about it that way. We don't realize that the innocent blood that is shed in our land defiles our land too. And we need to learn as followers of Jesus to stand in the gap for the mistakes, the failings, the rebellion of our society. Does that make sense? And I realize when you start talking about intercession, people are like, whoa, that's kind of like, whoa, what's what's going on with this? You know, what do we do? And the idea is that we see ourselves as God's vehicle to bring blessing into a world that maybe isn't prepared for blessing. And it's one of the things that we can do as the people of God. Now, moving on to the next little reality here. Look what it says in verse 10. It says, when you go out to war against your enemies... And the Lord your God delivers them into your hand, and you take them captive, and you see among the captives a beautiful woman, and desire her, and would like to take her for your wife. Then you shall bring her home to your house, and she shall shave her head, and trim her nails, and she shall put off the clothes of her captivity, remain in your house, and mourn her father and her mother a full month. After that, You may go into her and be her husband, and she shall be your wife. And it shall be, if you have no delight in her, then you shall set her free. But you certainly shall not sell her for money. You shall not treat her brutally because you have humbled her. Now, again, ever hear a Sunday morning topical series on this text? You know why? Because those pastors are smart. But since we're going verse by verse through the book of Deuteronomy, I have the blessing of getting to explain this to you all. Now, listen, so we read this and you think to yourself, really? Because I read this, I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this, Lord? That's what I said. But here's what you don't realize. When this was written some, let's say 2,000 years ago, Women were considered property. It wasn't 21st century America after the civil rights movement and women were given the right to vote and women were out to work and all these things. Women were considered property. You read any book, historical book, outside of the Bible, and what you find in every situation, women were considered property. It was a patriarchal society. Men really enjoyed that, and they did whatever they wanted. And this text is actually here to show that women are of immense value to God and that women should not be treated in a hostile way or in a way that demeans her personhood as someone created in the image and likeness of God. So when all of a sudden you realize that, and you realize that this was written not 200 years ago, but 2,000 years ago, you realize that this is revolutionary in cultures that women were subjugated. So this entire passage is about God's love of women and God's desire for women to be protected in a culture that was often very hostile to them simply because they were females. Look at what happens. He's like, look, he sets the stage. If you go to war, right, against your enemies and God gives you victory, right, and you take them captive. Now, if you see among them a beautiful woman and you desire her and you want to take her as your wife. So what happens is now it's a group of people who've been conquered. Right, But for a son of the children of Israel, if he would see one of these beautiful women, he says, wow, I've fallen in love with this woman. Now, you can imagine, as a woman who's been taken captive because her family has been destroyed, this is a very vulnerable position. And what goes on in a vulnerable position in that culture, anything was possible, so God starts to give parameters. First, notice what he says. He says, first, you may bring her to your home, and she shall shave her head, and trim her nails, and she shall put off the clothes of her captivity, remain in your house, and mourn her father and her mother a full month. So what you have is you have this idea, the shaving of the head and the trimming of the nails and the removing of the clothes, it speaks about the idea of, I'm taking on a new family and a new culture right now. So she's putting off her past, right? And then, so she's, she's getting a fresh start again. What's interesting is that oftentimes you find in the law that when somebody kept a vow, after their vow was over, it was almost the same ritual. They would get their head shaved, they would get a new set of clothes, and they'd go in. It's the idea, it's a picture of renewal, right? Then she's allowed to mourn for her family for an entire month. So it's not like a guy in this culture can choose a woman and just do whatever he wants. No, 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 listen. There's a time to prepare for this thing. Right, And this is a very beautiful thing, because God also realizes that as this woman is getting her heart prepared for what is happening, this man can also decide, do I really want this woman to be my wife? Which is something that is a great protection for a woman in that culture who is a captive. You can read outside of the Bible about these times, about what happened to women when they were taken into captivity in war. I mean, actually, you can just read your newspaper today about what's going on in Syria and other places when towns are being conquered and what is happening to women. So it's not like this is, I can't imagine this. This is beautiful that this is in the scriptures. This keeps men from being their worst possible selves, right? So this woman, there's this month that she's allowed to mourn for whether the loss of her family and the fact that she's getting married. You know, and what's amazing is, isn't that for, I've talked to many women who've gotten married, even my own bride. It's like the act of leaving your father and mother and cleaving to your spouse. That's a big step. My little daughter, Marinatha, she's eight. She's always talking to me about when she gets married. And I keep saying, you ain't getting married. (laughs) I'm like, listen, if Jesus was here in the flesh, maybe I'd say yes, Maybe. Because no guy is good enough for my little girl. And if you guys got sons, don't even think about it. Because she's cute, man. I'm telling you, my daughter's cute as buttons. But she's like, Dad, are you going to cry when you give me away? I'm like, no, I'm going to be happy. She's like, no, you're going to cry. I'm like, well, no, I'm actually going to pay your husband to take you. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I got to keep her humble, you know what I mean? I remember when Lynn and I got married and just, you know, in those first couple of weeks where it's like, she was like, wow, this is so weird, you know, this transition that's gone on. So even in this text, like, there's this space for a woman to have her heart prepared for this. Now notice, after that, then they can get married. And of course, it speaks about consummating that marriage, right? You could be your husband. And then I think verse 14 is totally fascinating because it says, And it shall be that if you have no delight in her, then you shall set her free, but you shall certainly not sell her for money. You shall not treat her brutally because you have humbled her. I think that's so powerful. Because what he's saying is, look, if you get married, you decide you don't want to stay married. In that culture, women, because they weren't able to work outside of the home, when divorce happened, women were destitute. Like literally there was no options. And what he says is, listen, if you decide to divorce her, You cannot treat her brutally. You cannot sell her into slavery. You have to set her free so that she can go on with her life. Now, I'm here to tell you, in writings from thousands of years ago, you do not see the protection of women like this. If you're one of those skeptical people, I dare you to try. If you find one, I'd love to see it. I've been studying this stuff for a long time. The reason I bring this up is because people read the Bible and they say, oh, the Bible is so sexist. It's like, no, no, no. You're not even thinking about it. You just decide you don't want to believe in the Bible and you're trying to find a reason. And so you come up with this stuff, but you're not even thinking through it. You know how I know that? Because I was the same way before I got saved. I didn't really want to believe the Bible. I didn't want to follow Jesus. I didn't really want to read the Bible. So I came up with all the reasons why this doesn't make any sense. But you know what's amazing? I wasn't really thinking about it. But then when I came to know Jesus, I started to think about it. And because I grew up as a skeptic and I didn't want to believe it when I got saved, I'm like, well, I don't really know if I still believe it even though I know Jesus is real. And so I still look at it like a skeptic. But then when you start to put it in context, you start to say to yourself, this is amazing. God's protection of a woman who's been taken captive after a war and God has all of these stipulations to make sure that this gal is taken care of. Because the children of Israel were meant to be different from everybody else. The ethics of who they are and why they do what they do is different. And I love that about the Bible. So if anyone ever says, oh, the way they treat women, so horrible. Listen, <laughs> this is the first case of a protection for women in literally any writing you can find, historical writing. These is the first cases of it. And it's beautiful. God's protecting women. Now, moving on from there, and I call this message family dynamics because now you have what happens with the cap. Now, there's another area where women were oppressed. In their culture that it's getting involved into now. Look what's says in verse 15. It says, If a man has two wives, one loved and the other unloved, and they have borne him children, both the loved and the unloved, and if the firstborn son is of her who is unloved, then it shall be on the day he bequeaths his possessions to his sons, that he must not bestow firstborn status to the son of the loved wife, in preference to the son Of the unloved, the true firstborn, but he shall acknowledge the son of the unloved wife as the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he has. For he is the beginning of his strength. The right of the firstborn is his. Now, this speaks to the reality of something that was very common and is always common in patriarchal cultures the idea of polygamy, multiple marriages. Now, listen. You've never once seen a case of a woman married to multiple husbands. It's always a man married to multiple wives. Why? Because it's another way that men in male-dominated societies have figured out how to subjugate and oppress women. And it was something that was very, very common in biblical times. Now, what's amazing about it, although it was exceedingly common in the cultures of this time, the Bible always paints polygamy in the negative all through the Bible, there are many cases where it's shared about, but it's always seen in the negative light. Like you think of Jacob with Leah and Rachel as the ultimate example, right? It's like, there's nothing more oppressive to a woman than to be married to a man who has a divided heart. And especially if the person who his heart is divided towards also lives in the same house right? There's nothing more emotionally, socially, and spiritually oppressive than that type of a relationship. Now, in this case, he's saying, look, now, if there's a man and he's married, he loves one, he doesn't love the other, how do you deal with the offspring? And it's this idea of the primary status of the firstborn son. And what he's saying here is that in these cases, the firstborn son, if he is the child of the, not the preferred wife, he still gets that firstborn status. And again, this is a way of protecting women and their offspring in the case of something that although was common, is not something that God desires. Now, someone's bound to say, well, why did the Bible, why does it talk about it? If it's wrong, why does it talk about it? Here's the reason. Because as I like to say, narrative is not normative. Now that's a very cute way of saying that when the news reports that these things happen, it doesn't mean the news agrees with what's happening. It's just telling you what was happening. Does that make sense? And so in your Bibles, you have all these things that the Bible talks about. It's reporting what's happening. Just because it's in there doesn't mean that it's God's heart. And the reason I know that polygamy is not God's heart is because when God created the male and female, what's the very first thing he said? And a man shall leave his father and his mother and he shall cling to his wife and the two shall become what one flesh so the very first statement in creation after god created man and woman is that a one man and one woman come together and become one flesh now listen if you're a math teacher and i'm not i know god's math seems weird 1 plus 1 equals 1 but that's how it rolls with the lord god's got strange math but it is how it is see so polygamy although common was not ever God's design. But in the dynamics of a culture, that that was happening, God has provision. And really what he's saying is that if a man is multiple married, then the firstborn son still gets that primary place of blessing. And you see things playing out, like if you think about David, he was married many, many times. And with the choosing of Solomon as his successor king, is one of the violations of this. And what's amazing, if you remember about the kings, about kings not multiplying wives, not multiplying horses, both David and Solomon did all those things. So even though David was a man after God's heart, he missed the boat on a lot of stuff. Even though Solomon, next to Jesus, was one of the wisest men who ever lived, he got a lot of things wrong. You know what I love about that? The Bible's real because in a story, that someone makes up, you do not want the champions of the story. You don't show all their flaws. See, that was one of the things that grabbed me when I first started reading the Bible. It's like something as simple as, who was the first person to announce the resurrection of Jesus? Mary Magdalene. In a culture where women were not even allowed to testify before a law court, the very first person who declares that Jesus is alive is a woman. And Mary Magdalene was the apostle to the apostles. Jesus, like, I want you to go tell all my boys who are freaking out, hiding, right? And don't forget Peter because he's a knucklehead. You got to go tell them that I'm alive. I mean, it's awesome, isn't it? I mean, you don't think about it. It's like Jesus' first appearance after his resurrection was to Mary. Who in the Bible says she had demons cast out of her beforehand and she wasn't exactly the most put-together citizen? That's the one who Jesus chooses. I mean, you see all through the Bible as well. Someone like Peter. Peter's got all sorts of things he does wrong. It's all in the pages of the Bible. But he's the first one who says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You would think that if they wanted to write a story that everyone would believe, they'd whitewash all that stuff out of there. It's kind of like the way we rewrite history, right? Right? It's like when a president comes and goes, we whitewash it. We're like, oh, the greatest effort. They did all these amazing things. And we forget that they did this. They did this. They got impeached. All this stuff went on. You know what I mean? But we don't talk about those things because they were so great, you know? But the Bible, it's so real life, flawed people. And I think one of the reasons God does this is because God never wants us to think that because of the mistakes that we have made, that we are unavailable to be used by him for extraordinary things. Do you have a checkered past? I know I do. Welcome to being able to be used by an almighty God. Don't feel that the mistakes that you have made keep you from being a person that God can use because the only person in the Bible who isn't fully flawed is Jesus himself. And everybody else has got a long list of stuff that went on in their life and God is still able to use them. So we have these rights of the firstborn. Now, I have one more thing I want to share with you. Look what it says in verse 18. It says, If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother and who, when they have chastised him, will not heed them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city To the gate of the city, and then they shall say to the elders of the city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall put away the evil from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Now, you gotta love the Bible. So here's the deal. I was just talking to someone recently who's a skeptic. Like, I can't believe you believe the Bible. It says that if the kids don't listen, you should have them killed by death by stoning. And I'm like, no, no, listen. I love when people bring that stuff. Okay, so you're not thinking about this at all. Do you think, pretend like you're a parent for a second. Like, I'm a parent. I got three kids, right? I love my kids. Now, some days I do want to wring my kid's neck. And like right now, like I love my little daughter Annabelle, but Annabelle is the most evil person right now. Like, it's like I tell you guys stories about Annabelle. I tell you that she's evil, but like, I'm telling you, she's evil. Because <laughs> you know what the problem why she's The problem is, is that she's so cute that it's like it's deceptive on how evil she really is. Because she's just like looks at you and she's drooling and she's got these big brown eyes and little pigtails. And then she does evil stuff. Like, she stole my daily devotion. Like, literally, I was reading Charles Spurgeon, Checkbook of Faith. That thing managed me, Annabelle's words in my book. She's like, I took it. <laughs> I'm like, well, can I have it back? She's like, I don't know where it is. <laughs> it's just gone, you know? And, like, and so, like, there are these moments where I say, I'm going to kill her, you know? But deep down, am I really going to kill her? Oh. See, so it's almost like people are like, oh, yeah. I'm like, how can you believe? How can you believe that that is so bad? They're not trying to kill their kids. They're parents, But this is a unique case. This is a case where a child is so incorrigible, so beyond being found that their parents are like, it's actually time for them to lose their life for how bad they are. Now, do you think that this happened every moment of every day? No. But imagine the amount of evil a child would do for a parent to bring them here. It would have to be an extraordinary amount But guess what You can find stories on the news Of parents who turn their kids in For horrific crimes Knowing what awaits them When they get caught When you want to say that This is why you can't No, no, listen The amount of evil a child would have to do For a parent to turn them over To the elders of the city Would be extraordinary And know what's also beautiful about this The parents weren't just allowed to kill their kids either. They had to bring them to the altars of the city.
1: Jesus is real. You are never too messed up to be used by God. Everyone has a mile-long list of ways they've messed up. Today, Pastor Daniel reminded you that Jesus is the only person that ever lived that wasn't a complete train wreck. The Bible is filled with stories of God using broken people to do amazing things. These examples should encourage you to remember that you can live with purpose as you simply respond to Jesus every day. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. Thanks so much for
0: tuning in today. It's such an amazing honor to share God's word and I love seeing how God is working through this ministry. Would you partner with us? I'd love for you to join us in sharing the message that Jesus is real by being a prayer partner or financial supporter. Find out more by visiting our website, JesusIsRealRadio.com.
1: Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com Click on the stations option in the main menu and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio and Pastor Daniel goes over several random laws that God was reminding the children of Israel of in this second retelling of the law. You'll see that God cares about how you live. Pastor Daniel shares that how you live matters because you are a reflection of who God is to the world around you. As you live in line with His way, people will notice a difference in what you do and say. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Blueprints. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.